Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. One more time, Danny. Let's hear it. We are in, we are in a tin can with a baby in a goddamn echo chamber, and you want to talk to me about being... Okay. Okay, because you're, you're yelling. So That's is the baby. baby. Okay, so you're a man. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that not the one we were going to? Okay, now what we need is, did that pod pay extra to yell? <laughs> I'll do that next week. Pod. 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 It occurs to me that uh, last week's episode, we talked about the Colorado transfer churn and Savelle Smalls transferring. Mm-hmm. And what do you know? Those two storylines have overlapped. Savelle Smalls is headed to Colorado. Makes a lot of sense from a couple different perspectives. Like, Savelle Smalls was a very highly regarded recruit whose opportunities or performance, depending on how you characterized it, didn't pan out the way anyone hoped at the University of Washington. There was also a coaching change mixed in there. And, I mean, that's a pretty conventional approach by both school and player, right? The players go into a place where there's a huge buzz and going to be a ton of opportunity because of the turnover, And the coach is saying, like, hey, everybody thought this guy was hell on wheels three years ago. Let's give him a fresh start and see what happens here. Yeah, it seems like I was talking about this with some friends. Like, if Colorado is is telling all of these current players to go in the portal, you kind of assume that Dion has a plan, right? That, okay, he's probably no, has some sense of, of who's coming in and those guys are better. And I kind of raised my eyebrow at this one a little bit because I thought, well, you know, I it feels like we've been led to believe that, you know, there's some real like high profile, like proven difference maker types in the pipeline, right? Like that's why all these guys are being forced out after Colorado spring game. And, you know, you're making, making room for, for the Louie. Um, not that Savelle Smalls can't be that kind of player, but it, it is interesting that one of the first guys they grab is, is someone who was a, you know, a depth chart guy, definitely in the rotation. He he would have played at Washington, and he's he has played before, but you know, not somebody who had been a starter at another program. But then a friend of mine also pointed out, like, well, do you think Savelle Smalls would have started at Colorado last year? Yeah, and the answer is absolutely yes. So um, probably probably still is an, an upgrade for them. This and is better. This is better for Savelle Smalls than it is for Colorado. Like that that would be my. My quick reaction: This is this is going to improve Savelle Small's opportunities, and I think that's it's going to help him more than it ends up paying off for Colorado. The, we still don't know in the transfer portal how many guys you're going to have who are playing well at top tier schools who decide to transfer somewhere else. We we know that when a guy gets buried on the depth chart, you're going to see it, right? We, we, we know when you've got a good player who is fourth or fifth on the depth chart because he's at a, a program that's that talented, he'll go somewhere, take a step back in order to play. And we know that guys who get, like, the term is under-recruited, right? Someone who turns out to be way better than people thought 
coming out of high school. They're going to go to bigger stages. But Colorado's in that spot where it's it's not that much of a bigger stage. Like, how, wh- where where does it sit in the pecking order? Like, it is at the very bottom of Power 5 programs. So, yeah, it I mean, being a bigger stage, like, there's a narrower pool of people you're going to draw for there. And somebody who's playing and contributing at better programs is not going to be in a hurry to leave, even if Dion's there. Yeah. Um, I just... It's it's an, this is an interesting transfer window to try to like reshape your roster through because it's there is far less talent in the portal in, in the spring than there is in December. Um, you know, most of the guys, most of the premier guys who are leaving, not because they they didn't get the role that they would have liked in spring practice, and not because the depth chart is kind of shaping shaping up ahead of them without them. Um, but, but because they're at a smaller school and want to step up a level because they've played really well, they're an all conference performer at, at the FCS level or at a, at a group five league, um, or they're at a power conference school, but they just, you know, want a change of scenery. They're playing, they would continue to play if they stayed, but they want to, you know, for whatever reason they want to start over. Those guys go in the portal in December. So I'm I'm just curious to see like the number how many how many available guys are there who are like Pac-12 caliber players who who they're going to be able to fill out their roster with and you could ask like you know how many Pac-12 caliber players did they have last year you know and already they have more right like Dion made you know took advantage of that December window too he brought several players with him from Jackson State including his son who's going to be their starting quarterback Travis Hunter who was the number one recruit in the class in 2022. He flipped Kermani McLean, five-star cornerback from Miami um, in the 23 class, also flipped a four-star running back, Dylan Edwards, from Notre Dame. So certainly he's made an impact. Certainly he's upgraded the talent at some positions. But, um, you know, you got to have have 22 guys, right? You're going to need some beef, man. I think that's what we talked about last week. We'll we'll see where that comes through. Do you see who else – and this this makes – uh, is important for Husky fans in the sense that it's one of their non-conference opponent, opponents. You see what's happening at Michigan State? Yeah, that's interesting. So Jaden Reed, who was their top receiver last year, ended up being a second-round pick. And that was, I don't want to say that was a slide in the draft rankings, but I think that there's been a sense that had he been... <laughs> At a, at a more successful program this past year, he might have been drafted higher. They've got a really good rising. Is I think he's a junior. I know he's still there. Keon Coleman, who entered the portal, and that led a lot of people to start talking about Peyton Thorne, the quarterback. Whether he's now it turns out Peyton Thorne's in the portal too. So their quarterback, their top returning receiver, are both in the portal, and their top receiver from last year just got drafted in the second round. So that's not bad news for Washington. It's not. I think Keon Coleman actually led them in receiving last year. He might have wound up with, with more yards than Jaden Reed, um, if I'm remembering right. The Peyton Thorne thing is interesting. I feel like he was sort of that veteran quarterback who the fan base was kind of looking around like, mm, okay, can one of these younger guys beat him out? You know, like, I think he had a, some okay games and put up decent numbers, but I think there was some thought that maybe Kaden Hauser or... Um, Gosh, I forget the name of the other guy. It sounds like Hauser was third in the competition, though. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Thorne was I mean, the consensus number one coming out of spring. Like, 
maybe there was some thought that, okay, yeah, this is an open competition and it wasn't good enough last year and, you know, nobody's job is secure and the best guy is going to play. But everything I've read seems to point to Peyton Thorne having still been the best guy this spring. So, Which means yeah, I don't know. looked at it and said, like, dude, if Keon Coleman's not here, who do I want to be throwing the ball to? And that's a mess. Noah Kim is is the other guy that's Noah Kim. I think he's a, I think he's a fourth-year junior. How do you even refer to these guys anymore? Like, do you say fourth-year junior? Do you say redshirt junior? What's the preferred I, uh, nomenclature, Christian? I I don't use the term redshirt for any class other than freshman. Okay. Uh, once they're beyond their redshirt freshman year, then they're a third-year whatever, fourth-year whatever. Oh, okay. And so, you know, yeah, you've got all these fourth-year sophomores and fifth-year juniors now because of because of COVID and, and Will for the next uh couple seasons here but that's 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 what i go with anyway and i know that there's like there's a a a movement among um shall we say the more copy editor inclined folks in our industry who don't believe that that the term true freshman should exist oh really they think that there's just freshman and redshirt freshman and if you call someone a freshman (laughs) no no man that's 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 actually wrong because Speaking on a consumer level, I want to know if he's like if I read freshman, I want to know. I don't assume that the person who wrote it knows what they're saying. So I want it to be spelled out like I don't want just freshman. I assume it means true freshman because I I don't trust other people. Other people are dumb. That's where I fall too. the logic is sound, right? If everyone followed it to a T, you could see the word freshman with no qualifier. And no, okay, that is a first year guy who has he's not he's not a redshirt freshman. That is a that is a a true freshman. But I like to write true freshman just to just to, to I, first of all, I think it's really remarkable when a true freshman plays. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there's any problem like re, really reinforcing and making very clear like this is a very first year player. I know some it's maybe it's more of like a a TV broadcast thing, but the the term pure freshman. That one's always weird to me. <laughs> That's completely weird. That makes me think of Chaste. He's a Chaste yeah. freshman. <laughs> this freshman has been unsullied by the college game to this point. So right. as a as a reader of onmontlake.com, I appreciate the use of true freshman. Good. We're it's it that one's staying in the style guide. Have you missed having copy editors? Um, a little bit. Mm-hmm. My wife has read a couple of my stories. Um, the one, you know, following Kaylin DeBoer around, she had mm-hmm. time to to look that one over. Ideally, you know, she could read them all, but she also is employed, so that's a little, a little, little complicated. Um, I miss it. I, 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 on certain things, you know, I'll see. Like, I'm trying to think of an example. I haven't had any like glaring, glaring errors. Oh no, there was, there was one. Um, I broke down, you know, all the players from their, their small, but, but still fully intact 2022 recruiting class. And this wouldn't be a huge deal if it wasn't, if I wasn't on Substack and, and it goes out as an email to people's email inbox. So there's no editing that, you know, like people, people see the mistake, they're going to see it. You can't, you can't take it back at that point. It's not like, oh, I caught this three seconds after I hit publish, I'll just go in and fix it. And hardly anybody will have seen it and it's fine. Um, I, I was editing the document and I, I do this, I copied, 
I, I decided I was going to rearrange the order of them. So I copied one section. It happened to be the section on Tristan Dunn, who was in the lead photo, um, which is my proof that I didn't forget to write about him. It was an editing error. I copied it and was going to paste it somewhere else, but got distracted, forgot to, and somehow in rereading it, because I do, I'm so paranoid about making mistakes now because I have no safety net. I read everything like 10 times before it goes out. Somehow just because it was, I think, a whole section missing, it didn't occur to me. And I published it and I'm counting it. And I'm like, wait, I'm one short. I'm like, who? Wait, no, I couldn't. Oh, my God, I left out Tristan Dunn. So I had to go back in and, and paste it in. Again, not like, that's not one I'm losing sleep over, but it was like, ah, oh, you know, maybe, maybe, a, maybe an editor would have caught that. But then again, maybe not because like, if there's just nothing there, you know, I guess you'd look at the photo and say, "Hey, you got, you got, you got Tristan Dunn in the photo here," you, you, but you didn't write about him. <laughs> did you? Did you maybe? Did you maybe want to want to fix that? Do you have a favorite error or a most egregious error that you've committed in print over the course of your illustrious career? I do, and it didn't make it to print, thank God. Um, so, when I was at the News Tribune, I would help out regularly covering the Rainiers. Mm-hmm. That's Coma Rainiers, and uh, you know they play the same like six teams over and over and over and over and over again. So it's like the Albuquerque Isotopes was was a big one, mm-hmm. and the Reno Aces, and you know all these all the PCL teams. And I don't know. I think they they'd played one team like a ton recently, and I don't know what I was thinking. I covered the game. And I wrote the story, and on every reference to the opponent, wrote Albuquerque Isotopes. They did not play the Albuquerque Isotopes that night. <laughs> and I realized it. Uh, I realized it after I left the park. Probably after it had gone to print. Okay. So I'm like, oh my God, if no one caught this, like this is going to be the most embarrassing mistake I've ever made. I called the desk and the, whoever was working that night was like, yeah, no, we, we caught it. I fixed it. And you know, they were very gracious. Like, yeah, no, they didn't even call you to give you a hard time. No, no. They, the thing is the desk loved me because I filed early all the time. And like, (laughs) I was, I've always begged like my Biggest skill that's no longer really all that relevant or useful. Like I, I, I could write on deadline. Um, so like I was the one who was filing my story within ten seconds of a game ending all the time or whatever. So like I was kind of on their good side, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, I was, I was quite pleased to have been bailed out on that one. But I was like, oh, I owe you, I owe you a case of beer, man. Like thank you. <laughs> that would have been horrible. <laughs> Bad enough that I did it to begin with, but. My worst one, and it did make it to print, uh, is, well, I don't know if it's the worst because it's relatively harmless, but it's pretty embarrassing. Um, I believe it was Rick Neuheisel's, it's either his first or second year as Huskies coach. I'm going to guess it was his second year, and they were playing at Boulder. And I was I was helping out. Bud Withers was the main beat writer, and I would occasionally write, uh, help out with the coverage. And I wrote about... The altitude, uh, the the which is for people who don't know, a staple of uh, print coverage is that when a team goes and plays in Denver or in Colorado, you can always do a the difficulty of playing at altitude story, and then you talk to a couple scientists and you do this, and well, I listed the the 
elevation of a boulder. Um, and I think there was a sign that, that had like a health warning in the tunnel there. I believe it's Folsom Field um, that I mentioned. And I said the elevation of Boulder is like 5,413 feet. Not quite a mile high. Mm. And I was informed repeatedly over the next day. And people wrote letters, like actual physical letters, which it takes a lot. Like this was like 2000, 2001. It takes a lot to get somebody to put pen to paper. Like that's that's generally a pretty high bar. Um talking about how I'd been buffaloed because I believe it's 5,230 feet. To this day, I'm not sure how many feet are in a mile. I, I thought it was like 6,500 when I wrote it, but that made it all the way through. <laughs> um, yeah, I've just never remembered that fact. Like, never been able to. Like, there's, yeah, so it, it is, it's am 5, I right? 5,280. 5, oh, 5,280. I still don't have it right. I thought it was 5,230. Yeah, so, so you boulders. could write that on a on a piece of paper and attach it. Like you know, they've got they've got the sign on their tunnel that's like, you're about to play at five thousand whatever feet of Rocky Mountain altitude or whatever it is. Um, and it's may, in their basketball arena too. Yeah, it may you could experience just put, dizziness, whatever. Yeah, you could just put the 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 number of feet in a mile and put that sign like in your home office. Yeah, and be like, one mile is five thousand two hundred and eighty feet. There you go. Yeah. I wouldn't remember it. Here's, here's how it started. Washington coach Rick Neuheisel expects to see a sign in the end zone of Colorado's Folsom Field that gives the elevation. Just to remind people, Neuheisel said, Boulder, Colorado is 5,345 feet above sea level. Not quite a mile high, but high enough to prompt questions about whether the Huskies will be at a disadvantage in tomorrow's game at Colorado. They didn't. This doesn't. This is from the news, newspaper archive at the Seattle Public Library. It doesn't have the correction they had to submit. Like they did an actual correction, <laughs> which I was like, "What's the appropriate correction for that?" It's like, our reporter's an idiot. Like our dumb reporter doesn't know how many feet are in a mile. Like basic, just basic, basic stuff. You know, if they really wanted to have your back, they could issue a correction saying like 5,280 feet. That is a completely random arbitrary number of feet to say <laughs> constitutes one unit of measurement. It could have just as easily been whatever our reporter thought it was. Who's to say who's right. You know, it's all uh, random. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, now if you want to see Christian perform without a net, you can subscribe to onmontlake.com and maybe be a volunteer copy editor for him. Yeah, and there's like a 99% chance that if I say the Huskies played a certain team, that is the team that they played. But <laughs> but now you know, like there's there's always that possibility. I, I might you know I might say that uh, they played the Albuquerque Isotopes when it was actually uh, the University of Arizona. Yeah, it's funny to think about all the different things that you have to balance and keep correct, and how easy it is. It's amazing there aren't more mistakes that get made. Just given how, how few actual safeguards there are between putting inanity out in front of the public. The thing that pisses me off about all that is I feel like there's this contingent of people out there who hate the media, who think that, you know, we're all a bunch of liars and we don't, we don't care for facts and we don't actually care to get it right. And it's like, dude, if I spell someone's name wrong, I, I will not sleep that night. When I publish a story, any any reporter, and you you know this, probably been through this a million times, who publishes like a big feature, a big story that you're you're really proud of, um, you know, you don't you you lay awake that night thinking like, 
going through it mentally. Like, did I screw this up? Did I screw it? everyone knows like has had the moment where you bolt awake in the middle of the night, like, oh my God, I, I got this, you know, I wrote this person's last name was this, but it's actually the other person. Or I just, I just thought of some tiny little like factual error I made. And now it's, you know, in the days of newspapers, now it's too late. There's nothing I can do about it. And, you know, no, like, I feel like there's this sense that the reader or the follower or whatever is, is aggrieved by your errors when there's just no chance that anyone will ever be as upset about making a mistake as the person who made it. Yeah. And it drives me nuts, especially like when you correct it, when it gets corrected and people are like, Oh, Oh wow. Look at you. Like you screwed up. It's like, yeah, they screwed up. And then they cared so much about getting it right that they issued a correction. How can you possibly care more about the truth than that? (laughs) I had an editor tell me that there are two types of reporters. (laughs) There are, uh, the type that when they make errors, you have to convince them. It's a big deal. And then the type of reporter who, when they make an error, you have to convince them that they don't need to resign their position immediately for a failure in, in, in catching a, a typo. And he said, by far, there are way more of the latter than the former, like way more people who are reduced to a catatonic state. And he goes, but when you get one of the former ones, when you get one of the guys that like doesn't think it's a big deal, you really got to hit him upside the head with a two by four. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christian, I'm going to give you a choice. Are you old enough to remember Choose Your Own Adventure books? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Where you would face a scenario, and if you chose one way, you go to this page. If you chose another way, you go to this page. Uh, If we want to stick with Transfer Talk, we have our weekly question from Ian McFarland, ipmcfarland.com. If you'd like to go more toward conference discussion, I have a couple quotes I want to throw at you from it's the latest round of big 10 media availability. So do you want transfer talk with ipmcfarland.com or do you want conference power play discussion? I'm uh, I'm going to go with transfer talk. All right. I don't know how much more conference power play discussion I can take. <laughs> well, that's not a good tease, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, each week we have a conversation spurred by a question from our friend Ian McFarland. If you've got a product or an idea that you're looking to take to market, or maybe you need someone to help run your sales team so you can grow that market of potential consumers, or maybe you just want to have a good conversation about how great it would be if Washington decided to roll out the plush purple carpet for one Billy Joe Hobart. Well, if any of those things are a concern, it's worth a conversation with Ian McFarland. First of all, He's a good dude with an appreciation for the finer things like Norm McDonald jokes, Aaron Sorkin dialogue. He's also someone with a team of sales leaders that can become vital components of your team. Need a VP of sales or strategic sales leader? Well, it's worth a conversation with IP McFarland Company. They can augment your sales team needs with in-house sales and customer success resources. That's IPMcFarland.com. And here's our question for me in this week. Morning, fellas. For once, I am going to compliment Danny instead of Christian uh, for his commentary last week about the transfer portal. Uh, my, my feeling on the portal is that it's sort of an inevitability. Very rarely are there cases like Dion where he's forcing people out or cases where the player believes they're better than their position within the team. Most of them are inevitabilities like we saw with Taj Davis last week where he is too good 
to be the fifth option on someone's roster. But the reality is he's not good enough to be better than the fifth op- option on this roster. So better he transfer to someplace where he gets a chance to live out his NFL dreams. With that philosophy in mind, who are the players on the roster that need to make that jump in 2023 in order to avoid the same end? Players that need to show their full potential or players that need to earn more playing time. So there isn't a collective belief among the player and the coach that this just isn't the place for them at this point in their career. Keep up the great work. Go dogs. Ian got me with a little bit of a backhand there. Yeah. I, I, are you? Um, <laughs> I was flattered. And then I was like, hey, wait a minute. What does that mean? For a change, he's not going to compliment Christian. Yeah. where's How much of that pie chart does flattery get assigned? <laughs> uh, I think it gets 45%. Like it's, oh, wow. It's initial... So you're more insulted than flattered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like for a change. Um, it's the for a change that does it. Yeah. Yeah. For once. For once. I think that's what it was. I think he said for once at the beginning. <laughs> That was a that was some. Did I hear some better audio quality on on Ian's end there? That sounded almost like a, like his. You know, did he did he get his own professional setup there? I, I believe it's a voice memo from. We did change from that, so I'm not interviewing him over the over the video uh, conferencing system. It's just a voice memo. But I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he's got some high end. Maybe IP McFarland is partnered with a, a new audio like audio recording app, and they brought it to their uh, a new a new market of customers out there. That's possible. You never know what Ian's got shaken, man. Yeah, that's why that's why you got to have that conversation. It's worth a conversation um, with him. It's worth it for sure. And this is what this is a worthwhile conversation also. It's a good question. I'm trying to think of positions where there's still going to be like veteran starters on the roster next year because that would tell you like okay, a younger guy who's got a little bit of eligibility left needs to take a step to sort of get into the rotation. I got one for you right off the top. Yeah, who Carson Bruner. So he came to mind, but both their starters are, are well, one of their starters and then one of their rotation guys are, is, are seniors. Yes. So I think that's we a, like. That's a spot they've kept landing transfers. That's true. So maybe it's a combination of he needs to show something this year, which I couldn't tell you what that is. I thought he looked pretty damn good the last couple of years when he got his opportunities. Um, maybe he needs to show something this year to convince the coaching staff that, okay, you don't need to go get a senior transfer at that position to start necessarily because Carson Bruner and Alfonso Tupatala can be your guys together with Raylan Goforth and Edifu Onyulafosio moving on after this year. But it will just be those two and then Devin Bryant and Jordan Whitney. Mm-hmm. on scholarship from this year's team and then whoever they get in the 24 class. So that's a weird one where like, yeah, maybe that's a good pick because they're going to probably have to go in the portal for some type of linebacker. And maybe Carson Bruner's development determines whether that's, yeah, go find a, a another starter, go find someone like Cam Bright, who's going to come in and like be a, you know, captain play every snap or most snaps right away. Or you like Carson Bruner and you like Alfonso Tupatala, so go get someone either 
either a senior who's cool with kind of just filling that rotational role or a younger player to kind of fill in the gap between the 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 experience gap there. So yeah, that's a that's a good pick. I'm thinking of um Will Nixon at running back mm-hmm. and Sam Adams. I'd put them in the same category. I think both those guys like took a big step this spring and made the most of their opportunities and like the coaching staff has talked about how they like the progress of I think Kalen DeBoer even said Will Nixon might have been one of their most improved guys, if not the most improved guy offensively. But Cam Davis, Dylan Johnson, mm-hmm. Daniel Nagata, we'll see where Richard Newton might fit in. Tybo Rogers is off to a great start. They clearly love him. So how many carries are there going to be for someone like Will Nixon, someone like Sam Adams, who are just kind of battling it out and you know trying to carve out a role? I mean, Adams, I think they're the same class, so... One, two, three. They'll have Adams will have two years of eligibility left, and Nixon has I think the same. He also redshirted, I'm pretty sure. So um there's both a question over what their role is going to be at Washington and some eligibility left for, for them to go, you know, if if they look at it and, and decide, yeah, this this isn't the place for me. So I I'm thinking a guy's kinda in that in that realm. I don't know that there's anyone else at receiver. Who would need to feel that way? I mean, Taj Davis left, and that makes sense. But, you know, Denzel Boston's got all four years of eligibility left, and he's looking up at two guys who are probably gone after this year. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, you know, Jeremy Bernard's got one one fewer year because he played last year, but he's already, you know, probably in that rotation. On the offensive line, I don't know. I mean, somebody like Garen Hatchett maybe who – I think is talented enough to start and and probably would be if they didn't have, you know, a couple of fifth year juniors at, at those guard spots available. If both those guys play well this year and come back, you know, you could you could lose you're gonna lose Mateo Melee because he's a senior. Mm-hmm. And then you could you're probably gonna lose Troy Fautanu because he's really good. Does that open up a spot for, for Garen Hatchett next year? Um, he's versatile enough, I think probably, and I think he's pretty clearly their number six O lineman. So I actually think he's in a pretty good spot with this year and then two more years of eligibility left. Um, but I think, you know, you'd probably feel better about his chances seeing him sort of mix in and get some opportunities this year. I don't know that he's one who needs to like really step up his game. I think he's progressed on schedule and they like him and everything. So but I'm you know, I think he fits in that bucket too, where fourth year in the program, still some eligibility left, not quite a starter yet. You know, let's kind of see how this year goes. I don't I know, think... defensively, anybody stand out to you? Well, Bruner does, and here's here's my question about Bruner. Do they want a bigger man at that at that middle linebacker position? Like that's like a li- I think that they might look at him and just wonder if he's a little light in the cakes to to play middle linebacker in their defense and that was something that Washington under under Jimmy Lake and under Chris Peterson I mean I would have said the same thing about Ben Burkhurvin which was just like I I don't know if that dude's big enough and they clearly were like dude if you've got the instincts like we're not going to sweat how whether or not you can take on you're big enough to take on a guard's block we're going to we'll, we'll go with your I'm not I'm not sure if 
it seems to me that the coaches might be in looking at Carson Bruner thinking like we probably need a bigger dude in the middle. Um, and that the telling sign will be if they start talking about moving him to Husky, which I don't think is, is a good, I don't think that would be a good fit for him. Um, but, but we'll see. He's got great instincts. Like I, I love the way he plays and that's, it's been puzzling to me in that way about why they've, They've seemed very open and maybe even aggressive in pursuing guys to put on top of him on the depth chart. The thing is, though, the guys they've brought in have not been like the big prototypical right. middle linebackers. Like Cam Bright and Chris Mole were both safety sized mm-hmm. last year. Um, Goforth's a little bigger. Yeah, he's he's maybe more of the. I mean, what are the, what do they list him at? Uh, only six two and two thirty six. Bruner's also listed at six two and, and two twenty three. So, you know, I don't know that they've, you know, like Devin Bryant, who they love, by the way, he had, a, uh, I think, a really good spring for a true freshman early enrollee. And he's just one of those guys who, you know, high school team captain, you know, very smart, very cerebral, is going to get it right away type of guys. They took his commitment really early. You know, we're stoked to get him. He's 5'11 and 217 pounds. Um, Jordan Whitney, six, two and, and two twelve. obviously he's a freshman. He'll, he'll bulk up a little bit, but you know, it's not like they've gone after like the really big player. I, I think they probably prefer guys who can run at a Fuonula Foscio is undersized, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's why he, he wasn't a scholarship guy coming out of high school. Um, Alfonso Tupatala, it has gotten bigger. Um, he, he looks the part I think, but you know, roster wise, he's six, two and, and 238 pounds. So. I don't know that Carson Bruner stands out in that group as like you know, a guy who's not big enough to do it. Um, we'll see. I think, you know, if, if I'm him, I feel pretty good about my chances of starting in 2024, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, they, they might, the coaching staff might have other ideas. I think in the I'm trying to think in the defensive backfield, somebody like Cam Fabiculon and somebody like Dyson McCutcheon, probably needs to make a move this year. And Fabiculon and he's been a starter and he's kind of a part-time starter and like you're going to have injuries. So he's a guy who's can probably count on playing some. Um Dyson McCutcheon though, I mean from that 2021 class, redshirted was was not part of the rotation at all last year. Um you know, this is his second year of of playing eligibility. So, you know, Vincent Nunley is in that same that same group. They seem to really like him. Um, he kind of seems like probably the next guy up behind Asa Turner and Dom Hampton at safety right now, or at least in that next wave. So, you know, I don't I don't think there's any reason to like, you know, panic if you're him that oh my gosh, if it doesn't happen this year, then when's it going to happen? Because it does look like there's an opportunity once those seniors are out of the way. But th- those those guys kind of come to mind too. Yeah, it's interesting going back to Ian's question because. I th- I think one of the things he's pointing to is that at wide receiver for Washington this year, you kind of have unexpected like top end depth. Like no, and I don't want to say in a normal situation, Roma Dunze would be gone, and maybe even Jalen McMillan. But right, like there is that is that is probably the deepest, probably the deepest position on the roster in in terms of just the top end talent that you have there. Where Taj Davis is someone who I think at most other Pac-12 programs, he would look at the upcoming season and think that he's going to get, like, he's going to be in the main rotation. And at Washington, like, he's 
probably the fifth dude and, and probably being pushed. The deepest position going forward for Washington beyond this year, I think running back, which you pointed to, is is one to really, really look at of like you not a log jam of guys, but you got a number of guys there. I also I'll be interested to see what happens at edge. Because your edge rushers this year, clearly your the top two are Trice and, and ZTF. And I mean both would expect to move on next year, so there should be opportunity there in Savelle Small's transfer, but you've got three or four other guys that are wanting to be in that rotation and that could be hard this year and could create sort of this well if they're not toward the top of that that depth chart right now they start looking at other options yeah i don't know that there's another player like taj davis who has established that like okay this guy can play in the pac-12 he can make big plays in the pac-12 at receiver none of this is too big for him um He's got a reliable pair of hands. He's played a bunch the last two seasons, but he's just not quite there to be, you know, a prominent player because of how deep his position group is. The closest thing would would probably be, like you said, running back Will Nixon and and Sam Adams. Um, and you know, I, I think Carson Bruner is a viable Pac-12 linebacker. Probably starts on a number of other teams in this league. So throw him in there too. But yeah, they're, they're uniquely deep at receiver, I think in a way, and not just, you know, cause like they're, they're deep at D line with, with bodies, with scholarship guys who have played, but in terms of the top end, like potential all conference type, I mean, there there's, they have three receivers who you wouldn't be surprised if, if they made a, a first or second team all pack 12 this year. And that's not the case at any other position. So I didn't mean thinking about the D line, like you figure that that Thule and Tuatele and Ale, and maybe throw Bandis in there. Like that's kind of your top four, and then the Parker twins I think are going to play too. But again, you know, two of those guys are seniors, mm-hmm. so they're moving on after this year. So you're not necessarily having to project out like, man, if I'm, you know, if I'm one of the Parker twins or, you know, maybe like jacob bandis or somebody and i don't i'm not starting this year then i'm you know it's just hopeless because you got seniors in front of you and they're going to be gone so kind of d-line's interesting by the way like breaking down kind of what their transfer needs are like obviously they're not going to get an impact d-lineman in the portal in spring but see fee now left so they're down to eight scholarship guys which is plenty healthy for scholarship bodies but then um Thule and ale are seniors and they're going to be moving on. So that kind of drops you down to six right there. Maybe they'll move Voitanufi out to edge. Maybe not. Um, if they do, that would put you at five going into this 2024 recruiting class and, and potentially next season. So they need to add. I mean, they, they need to feel pretty good about the D tackles they sign in 2024 or really take a hard look at the portal to sort of reinforce the bodies there. Cause it's not, it's not thin right now. They're, they're good on bodies. Um, but after this season, you know, if, if the, if the machine doesn't keep churning and, and they don't find guys they like in the 24 class or they, they miss on their targets in the 24 class or whatever it is, um, the depth there could get interesting. Get some people over in Hawaii. It's my answer to that. Yeah. Well, they got one. 
camps camp some camp some 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 recruiting folks out there in in Hawaii. It's one of the spots where Washington's always it's always where we've relied upon for some some bulk and some beef, right? I think uh, what would Cooper Patagna say when we had him on that he he always felt like the recruiting in the state of Hawaii needed to go through the University of Washington, mm-hmm. and it did for a couple of years there. Yes, but like he's saying, they missed on a couple linebackers that really hurt Nick Herbig and uh, uh, like the, the kid who went to Notre Dame, Jordan Batello. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Uh, did you follow the NFL draft at all? I, I did a little bit, yeah. Did you keep track of? Can you can you guess how many Pac-12 players were were chosen in the first round? Well, it was Christian Gonzalez. Yes. Jordan Addison. Yes. Oh. Were there four? There was three. Three. Gonzalez, Addison, and. Last one might be a little tough. What school? Utah. Oh, uh, Dalton Kincaid. That's correct. Went to went to uh, went to Buffalo. Yeah, I saw Josh Allen's really excited about him. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you who else is really excited about him. Everybody in Western New York, people are going to love that dude from day one. Man, he fits he's a, a baller. certain type that they like. Well, he is really good. <laughs> he is. He's a, a freak physical athlete. Like, I mean, that kind of gets undersold. Like, I always think it's funny, like, when people see a white tight end and they're like, oh, he's a great blocking tight end. I'm like, yeah, you watch Dalton Kincaid play like that. That dude's going to that he's going to run past some linebackers like that's yeah. that's his his value add there. Also, three Pac-12 players in the second round. So that means out of the first 63 picks, because there was one missing, he had six, six Pac-12 players. That's not, it's not very great. Good. Not great. I will say, and it's a college football wide thing, but it feels like a Pac-12 story in particular. Like 2023 is the year of the return, right? Mm-hmm. It's the year of the the I'm coming back. It's the mm-hmm. year of the NIL uh, made it made another year in college more worthwhile for some fellas. So, but who's who out of that group would you say would have been a first or a second round pick? Like maybe Rome, and I guess potentially ZTF. Yeah, maybe maybe Trice if he got into the circuit and the workouts and right. Um, and would Bo Nix have had a shot? I don't think so. Like you look at where Will Levis went. Like Levis, Levis did not go high, and Nix Nix might be a little more mobile than Nevis, but not much. Like I feel like if if Penix had gotten feedback that indicated he'd have been a second rounder, he probably would have left. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I do think so. Um, there was nothing that I saw in that draft that would have made me think that Penix is going to go in the first three rounds. Like any chance at uh, team's value? Any chance Laatu Latu could have been a second round pick this year? Yeah, probably. You know, the injury history though, he only played one year. Yeah. He plays I the right it. spot though, man. Like yeah, <laughs> NFL teams are so hard up for edge rushers. Like they just go so crazy over it. Dane Brugler had him in his first round mock for for twenty four, mm-hmm. so it's a, that's a that's a list of names in that mock draft. Laatu Latu, JT Tuimaloao, Emeka Egbuka. Uh, I think he had Romo. No, he didn't have Odunze in his first. He had uh, I think he had Penix in his first round toward the end of the first round. If I'm remembering, no kidding. Right. Yeah, so that's um. 
I think really? it was C- I think it was CBS. I was gonna. Uh-huh. So I, I I almost tagged you in this on Twitter. I, I believe it was CBS. Their mock draft had four Huskies in the first round. Whoa. Yeah. You want to guess the order? I'm gonna guess ZTF, Odunze, Trice, and then Penix. I believe that's what it was. ZTF was certainly first. It was either ZTF, Odunze, Trice, Penix, or ZTF, Trice, Odunze, Penix. But it supported your uh, your choice of ZTF as the the first Husky off the board in 2024. I I I feel a little. <laughs> I feel like I cheated a little on that one, Christian. (laughs) Seriously, because I wouldn't have, I would not have said that if I hadn't talked to somebody who was like, no, dude, like his, what we look for at Edge, like he's got. And we're not as freaked out about or worried about how you play defense against the run if you can, if you can come off the edge like he can. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. And like, you know, what if he goes out and gets 12 sacks this year? Yeah. Like that would certainly turn the heat up that way. But, you think about, and then maybe that mock draft didn't have both Latu and and uh, and Tui Malo out, and I don't think Brugler had either ZTF or Trice in his first round. But mm-hmm. you think about like all four: Braylon Trice, Zion Tupola, Fatua Latu, Latu, and uh, JT Tui Malo out have all been mentioned as potential first round edge rusher picks in the same draft. <laughs> yeah, you haven't. You haven't seen that. Oh, what could have been? And I shouldn't. No. I shouldn't say JT. You know, JT. But what could have been? It's not like he was ever committed or that close to committing or anything like that. But it's, it's a name people know. Yeah, or someone that you would sit there and say like, "Hey, you should have. You should have at least a shot at at, at him." Which, which I think is fair. Like I, I, we've talked about it before. I do not expect someone who has an opportunity, especially at a premium position like Edge to go to Ohio state to say like, no, I'd rather stay home. Like, I don't think that's a reflection on a failure of Washington's part, but you should be an option there, which I think Washington was like, he wasn't, it wasn't someone that they, he discounted entirely. Like it was a consideration. He was just going to go somewhere that was a little bit more, (laughs) more prominent, understandably. Did you think at any point during the 2019 quarterback competition that, okay, the Washington Huskies have two fourth round quarterbacks going at it pretty much equal. Jacob Eason was drafted 121st overall, and in the end, Jake Hayner was drafted 127th overall. Nearly zero difference in terms of draft position and and how the league ultimately viewed those guys when they came out. Shocking to me. Absolutely shocking. And I'm not, and it's not because I'm a huge Eason fan. Like, I really underestimated Jacob Hayner. Like, probably at a couple different points. Um, really, really underestimated him. Uh, there is not a draft pick this year that I was more surprised at than where Hayner went. And to the point where I also <laughs> made a couple calls about that. Um, so apparently there's a, there's a test that is being used. Like people have always talked about the Wonderlick. There's, there's a different test now. It's called S2. Um, it's put together by a company in Nashville and it had another name earlier. I can't remember what the company's name earlier, but it's S2 Cognitive or something like that. And this is the test where CJ Stroud supposedly scored extremely low on it. Um, a guy named Bob McGinn wrote about that, uh, his test scores. He used to be one of the guys that would leak Wonderlick, Wonderlick scores, and everybody like, oh, can you believe this guy scored this? Uh, the Wonderlick, you're not going to be able... So apparently Hayner 
just aced this S2 test. The S2 test uses a gaming laptop, and it's the Wonderlick, I think primarily is designed to test how you process information under a time crunch. Like it's, it applies a time pressure to doing sort of exercises that are logic and, and, and language based. The S2 test also tests reaction time as well as pattern recognition. So it tries to do more cognitive ability rather than just a straight standardized test. Apparently, Hayner just aced it. And there are teams mm. that are looking at this as more predictive, especially for quarterbacks. Um, so the McGinn story about C.J. Stroud, I think the story was it's, it's graded on a, a basis of 0 to 100. Um, and Stroud's score was said to be like 18. And it's really considered concerning for quarterbacks for understandable reasons, like with pattern recognition and the ability to decipher defenses and react to that. Um, I am, I want to like raise my hand and say, I am 100% skeptical of standard, any type of standardized test being used to measure how a guy plays on a football field. Like I, I think it can be extremely problematic and prone to Dan Marino had a terrible wonderlick score, (laughs) like didn't mean a thing. Um, but it was, I never won a Super Bowl. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Um, (laughs) But Hayner supposedly was was like lights out on that test. I honestly, Christian, I just thought he was too small. And maybe maybe I'm a sizist. This goes back to what I was talking about with Carson Bruner. Like, look, you guys, oh, yeah, maybe he's just not big enough. I I never imagined Jake Hayner was going to be an NFL quarterback. I wasn't surprised by draft day. I mean, I, I knew he was going to get drafted. Um, I was a little there was some there was some talk of him maybe being like a fringe first rounder after last season um which i was a little like mm. see i would have said i kind of doubt crazy it crazy talk i would have said he's a sixth or seventh round pick i would have said he's kellen moore like that's that's honestly and it, again that's probably sizest like that's what i would have seen him as it's like he'll get picked and maybe somebody thinks he'll be a backup i when you draft a quarterback in the fourth round like it's not a throwaway pick it doesn't mean that they're going to turn the offense over to you but like they see you as a potential developmental prospect. Um, yeah. Eason, Eason's a great, Eason was a fourth round pick and people looked at it and said like, he's got the arm. Like, I don't know if he can do some of the other stuff, but like if it clicks for him, like he's got the arm to do it. It did not surprise me that Eason was a fourth round pick. It shocks me that Hayner was. People, people like made fun of me during that competition for saying like, Hey, you know, Jake Hayner has a really good arm. Cause it was, it was, in the context of watching Jacob Eason, who has like one of yeah. the, in just in terms of pure arm strength, like how how much velocity and how far can that guy throw a football? Like, there's not a lot of human beings who have ever walked the earth who can throw it like Jacob Eason can. Just yeah. in terms of pure, like, watch this guy throw the football. Jake Hayner's got a really good arm, and yeah. you know it's maybe not in the like howitzer tier, but it's way stronger than you'd guess it is for someone his size. And he's, like you mentioned, really smart. Um, I think really tough, extremely competitive. Um, You know, Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer just absolutely rave about his work ethic. You know, Grubb tweeted a picture after he got drafted of of them on the field at the Rose Bowl after their their big win over UCLA uh, in 2021. And, you know, obviously, like, those two have a good relationship and, I think they loved coaching him, loved having him as their their quarterback. Could not say enough good things about him. So, 
I think he he checks a lot of those kind of intangible boxes of the way that you want a, a starting quarterback to carry himself and like approach his his work. And then he, he he's got a good arm. I think he he was always fearless. I mean, that was kind of the knock on him in practice. He'd throw some interceptions because he'd take some chances. He he was going to push the ball down the field. He was going to give receivers an opportunity to make plays. So um, I always I, I liked the way he played. I didn't think. You know, watching him against Eason in practice that year, like I didn't, I didn't see a path to Chris Peterson standing up in front of the media and saying Jake Hayner's our starting quarterback. Yeah, I just think having someone like like it's been criticized since then, right? Like, there's been, I've seen a number of people say like, oh, you know, I wonder if Chris Peterson will ever admit his mistake. I wonder if Chris Peterson will ever like admit that he blew that one. And I'm just like. If he had picked Jake Hayner over Jacob Eason, you, the very people asking this question, would have absolutely lost your mind. You would have, you would have melted down. You would have been calling for him to be fired. Even, even if it would have ultimately turned out to be the right decision, in that moment, you would have lost it because that's what, that's what the optics were at the time. Yeah. I, I agree with that, Christian. Like, I, I, I think you're right there. And I might have been one of those people screaming. <laughs> like, it's very possible. Um, but the other thing, and I, I would say this, that with Hayner, I would have said that, hey, he's a better, he might be a better sort of backup quarterback than Sam Heward was early on. Like, a better choice for that. But Washington should put its sort of investment into into Sam Heward, which I don't think is, is a wrong way to go about it. But the, the issue is that people are so eager and I include myself in this group to say like someone can't do it. Like, so especially at quarterback of like, dude, he's not fast enough to offset the fact he's not big. And people have always pointed to Russell Wilson and then to a lesser extent Kyler Murray as sort of following in the footsteps of Drew Brees as short quarterbacks. And that's not really true because Drew Brees played very differently and was more of a pocket passer. I, I, I think Hayner, Hayner can probably move better than Brees ever could, but but Hayner is more of that line. And and I think that there there should be more scrutiny about whether or not someone who is not as big can still thrive as a pocket passer in the NFL and not being look at it and saying Gardner Minshew I'd throw him in there too although it's more his arm strength than his height of for years NFL teams have said if you're gonna there's a limit to how good that guy can be like Gardner Minshew or like what I thought of, of Jacob Hayner that he can, he can maybe be a starter on a bad team. Like, but he's not, he's not going to be a starting quarterback on a team that gets to the playoffs. And, and I, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think the ceiling's higher than that. And I also think the floor is much lower when you see a guy that thrives at the college level now where he gets in there, like Gardner Minshew is, and he's a respectable NFL quarterback. Like, he looks like he can play the game. It's not like the kid from Liberty last year that started for Tennessee, and you're like, that dude doesn't belong on an NFL field. Like, Gardner Minshew. And I think there's been sort of this snobbery among NFL teams of like, yeah, that guy just can't make the throws, or that guy's just not tall enough, where they they dismiss it. And Hayner would be someone that, like, dude, he does have the arm that's strong enough to make those throws. And and I do think teams are starting to, to give more credence to that. 
I think in 2019, it came down to both these guys. These guys are pretty even in practices. Both of them performed in practice in a way that you, you, you should feel okay about either one of them being your starting quarterback week one against Eastern Washington. I think it was that year. But you're going to go with the guy who's 6'6 and has a stronger arm than any you've ever seen and was a five-star like national top five prospect coming out of your home state in the end, you know? Like I think there was an an inevitability about that that they were always going to go with Eason's upside unless Hayner was just so much better than him. Yeah. And I, I think I think Chris Peterson was disappointed. He transferred. He would have liked to have kept him around. And yeah, they, I do think they were they were going to reward him with like multiple series in that opener against Eastern Washington. Which like again, I remember when Hayner transferred, thinking, "Wow, he just did Chris Peterson a favor because now Chris Peterson doesn't have to take Jacob Eason out of the game against Eastern Washington and get booed in his home stadium in your season opener." See, because you took the guy off the field that everyone wanted to see, and that just only goes back to like the like. There's so much revisionist history here. Like you, you all you listening, you're lying if you said <laughs> you'd have said you'd have thought that it was awesome they picked Jake Hayner. It would have been the right decision, I think, in retrospect, or maybe it wouldn't have been. Maybe Eason was better off. He was further along at that point. Maybe Hayner needed to go to Fresno State and learn from from Kalen DeBoer and learn from Ryan Grubb and develop a little more. And that's why he was so successful. You know, who knows? There's other factors. It's not as simple as like, well, Hayner clearly had the better college career than Jacob Eason, so they should have gone with Jake Hayner back in 2019. Um, but the the, yeah. the the way that it, it wound up with the draft positioning, it certainly makes for a fun debate. Yeah, it's really was it was it the Cal game when Easton yeah, got benched? That was that was Browning. Um, that was 2018. Okay, so Hay- that's Browning. Yeah, Hayner spent comes his in... his redshirt freshman year in 2018 as as Browning's backup. Yeah. Okay. Um. In poker, they call it resulting, where you take an observable result and then work backward to a decision that you could change and say, like, oh, it would have worked out differently. And the, the fallacy with that is that you're, you know the outcome. Like, you know what the outcome is with Jacob Eason, where there's a range of potential outcomes at the point that decision was made to, to go with Eason ahead of Hainer. I think the decision was right. I, I think Chris Peterson made the right decision there, given all of the information you know. It would have, I think it probably would have worked out better if he'd gone with Hayner. It's just unrealistic to expect Chris Peterson to, he doesn't have a crystal ball. Like, he's not able to say, the dude that's 6'6 with the big arm, who was such a high-profile transfer, who, if you're saying who is more likely to allow this program to take the next step at quarterback because, remember, it was coming out of Jake Browning and people feeling like Browning had had definitely plateaued and maybe even regressed. The decision there is Eason. It's just, in retrospect, I think they probably would have been better off if they'd gone with Hayner. But, because then Hayner doesn't, there's so many different things that happen there. But I don't blame him for that decision. I, I, I think he made the the right decision given everything that was known at that point. It just didn't turn out. I think the bottom line is the fan base, they were done with the Jakes. They were ready to move on to the Jacobs. 
I, that's that, that's probably true. That's, I, I, that's probably a very fair summary. I reserve judgment. It's just like you said, there's so many different factors. It's it's almost silly to say, was it the right decision or not? I set aside whether it was the right call, whether he screwed up, whether he blew it, and just focus on like the people asking that question would have would have just lost it, lost it if they'd started anyone but Jacob Eason. They were always yeah. going to start Jacob Eason. I think it was a legit competition. You know, mm-hmm. I think if Hayner had been like demonstrably better than him, it would have been too much. And they said, okay, like, you know, this guy, this, this is the guy he, he's just clearly the best quarterback, but th- it was, it was always going to be Eason. And I think, you know, maybe Hayner knew that too, but, but knew that, Hey, I go give it the college try. Like, you know, I, I know that I can play quarterback as well or better than this person. And so I'm not going to shy away from a competition against him even if I kind of know that if all things are equal, it's not going to go my way. Um, and, and, you know, he hung in there and, and battled it out and, and it did at least force the coach. That battle went all the way through camp, man. Like, force the coaches to make a tough decision. And I believe Chris Peterson when he said they were splitting hairs. I just focus on, like, the revisionist history piece of, like, oh, should have gone with Hayner. It's like, you would have thrown a fit, dude. You would have thrown a fit every day until they played Eason. That's exactly what would have happened. Another guy that they uh, – a lot of people thought, and I still believe this, should have played more in 2019, uh, was drafted in the, in the, on day three. Who's that? Puka Nakua. Oh, Nakua. I love Nakua. I really like Puka Nakua. Been yeah, beat up. I, I, yeah. But uh, he's, he's a player. He's a playmaker. I, I don't know how much he's got left health-wise, but. Here's the thing that's tough to, to engage in the revisionist history with Puka Nakua. Because I do agree. I think he should have played more. It's not like wide receivers a problem for them. Right? It's no. not like... And if, he, it, and if he stays, that changes some of the other potential outcomes that you've had. Like, you can't... <laughs> you can't look at the deepest position on your roster and then say, like, oh, but we really screwed up because Puka Nakua transferred. You're like, everything came out okay. And if you undo that... Well, the, the, the playtime thing was just his freshman year. Because he left right. after 2020 when he was a guy. Um, yes. He was always kind of banged up anyway, so maybe it's silly to say. But, like, he, he his first ever target, he caught a touchdown against Hawaii. And it was, they weren't getting the production out of the, the, the seniors, the older guys. And it was like, well, this Puka kid looks really good. He looks really good. And you play him. He plays in every game. You're not redshirting him. Maybe throw him the ball. Maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe have him run some routes instead of just run blocking. And. Then it was like the Arizona game in the desert. They threw, you know, Eason went deep to him a couple times. He made a couple big plays. He catches a touchdown against Oregon, and it's like, okay, like they're they're in the Puka Nakua era now. Like, you know, he, away they go. Um, and then he gets hurt in practice, and he's done for the year. And I think that just kind of felt to people like, man, you know, you, you kind of just wasted his whole freshman year. He wound up playing in eight games, but not really. And and now he's done, and and you got nothing out of, this first year where you, you know, you could have thrown him the ball four or five times a game and, and maybe seen what he could do a little more. Yes. That sounds exactly like what I was saying that year. And then when he transferred after the following season, I was like, I can't really blame him. Yeah. And there were some, there were some family considerations and stuff yes. too. Um, that's some revisionist history. I will, I will get down with folks who want to look back and say they should have played Puka Nakua more. They still, I, I remember thinking that at the time and I, I still think that now. So, all right, Christian, this is going to be the last thing. We're going to pass on conference power plays, 
but I've, I've got another I've got another clip. You don't know what this clip is this time. You've never heard it. Uh, so we are going to react live to it. Are you prepared? I'm prepared. I'm going to set the scene. This is in an airport. There is a highly agitated man who has a very specific destination he wants to get to, and he is upset that he cannot get there. He is being prevented from boarding a plane to take him to his desired destination. Here we go. Listen, they spent two thousand dollars on my money and put me on that flight. Now I'm not on that flight. Okay. How the do I get to Longview? I don't know. How am I even allowed to? Okay. Hey, if I spent two thousand dollars for a flight, round trip from Longview to back from Medford back to Longview, what the am I doing on a flight back to Longview? Craig Lee. Q U I G L E Y. Put me on my fing flight. About three margaritas. About three margaritas. Yeah, you got a fing problem with that? Why do you have a fing problem with that? You have a fing liquor board in this fing airport. You! Listen! Listen! I'm on a fing flight and I paid two thousand dollars to be on. Listen! Why? There's no reason to arrest me. Turn around. Why? Turn around. Uh, he was arrested in taste. <laughs> That's good. Um, that one lacks so, the charm. The charm of the other one. Like this guy's just being abusive. Yes. The other guy was. The other guy was funny. I mean, he had some amazing, like, comedic quips. Um, did he? Did he say he's trying to get from Medford to Longview? Yes, that's what I'm going to explain because Texas led to a lot, a lot of research on my part. So that is actually taking place in the Dallas airport. I initially thought it was Seattle because he mentioned Seattle and it kind of looks like it, but it's in Dallas. And he's talking about, I think, going from Longview, Texas, which is in eastern Texas, to Medford, Oregon. <laughs> but initially I thought it was Longview. I. I know there's no airport in Longview, but maybe you have some sort of freight runway. Maybe that's why it was $2,000 to go there. Yeah, there's a, there's like a small little, you know, fly your Cessna in and out airport in Kelso. But <laughs> so I was trying to, I'm like, so you can fly from Longview, Texas to Medford, Oregon? Yes. As a matter of fact, I looked that up this morning. American Airlines, um, Alaska also has a route that'll get you there. But yes, you can fly from Medford, which is a place I'm very familiar with. Was it two thousand uh, dollars? Uh, it's quite expensive. It was like seven hundred and twenty nine dollars was the just like online fare. So I could see if you were like, I need to get there tomorrow. At, at one point when he says, I paid two thousand dollars, one of the cops responds to him. Well, you got ripped off then. It's <laughs> pretty funny. I, I do want to compliment him like there is like it does lack the charm, but there is an intense bit of logic. Our friend Quigley applies when it comes to the consumption of alcohol. I'm going to replay that. You got a problem with that? What he says, why do you have a liquor bar in this airport? <laughs> it was the phrasing of liquor bar that threw me. <laughs> liquor bar. <laughs> why do you have a liquor bar? <laughs> I guess that is indifference to a beer bar. Like, it's just yeah. a beer bar. This is a liquor bar. <laughs> Welcome to the liquor bar. Would you like to sample our three margarita special? Um, and I want you to listen very closely 
to what the the cop says when he says he needs to get to Long Beach. How the f do I get to Long Beach? I don't know. How am I get to Long Beach? Hey, if I spent two. How do I get to Long? I don't know. Uh, which I think could be something that, even though it's a different part of Longview, I think that might also apply to Longview, Washington. <laughs> How do I get to Long I don't know. In some far off say who say pod future where we have a uh, a a like fully like functional stitched together intro, it, some part of that clip needs to be in it. Some mention of Longview <laughs> needs to be. I I feel like I feel like we could uh, we could come up with something pretty funny there. I paid two thousand dollars to get to Longview. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got ripped off then. <laughs> Go back to the liquor bar, fella. <laughs> Three margaritas. That also reminded me when Jeremy Stevens got popped for, I, I think he's got four DUIs now. I, I think it's four. It might only be three. But the the DUI that he got in Arizona while he was a free agent in the NFL. So that would have been after the 2006 season. So 2007. The police pull him over after he was at the Salty Senorita. And they asked him how many drinks he had. And he said five or six margaritas. <laughs> like that's two flights to you, Longview. Yeah, like do, do I think he was being honest and should be complimented for his transparency? Or do I think that he he did the standard reduction that anybody who's caught driving drunk does where it's like, "Oh, I'll divide what I actually." He actually had 15 to 18 margaritas and thought like, "I've got to divide it by 3 to make it sound more manageable." I was like, "What how drunk do you have to be to think that your explanation of I had five or six margaritas is going to be greeted with, oh, well, that's not very much for a man of your size. Why don't you go on about your way? Like, that seems totally reasonable. Hey, as long just as you just to dinner. Them, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, did, you eat a, did you eat a big dinner with you? Did you get a solid base on there, Jeremy? Then I'm sure you're just fine to go. <laughs> well, I had five or six margaritas with dinner. <laughs> oh, that sounds totally normal. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I could see how someone would make that calculation. It's been at least an hour, hour and a half since you stopped out. Oh, yeah, that's like you only had three or four. It's fine. <laughs> Three margaritas. <laughs> Why do you have a liquor bar at the airport? Reasonable question. It's like he fell he fell down and fell into this this bucket of three margaritas at the liquor bar. I would <laughs> I would never patronize a liquor bar on my own voluntarily, but you've got a there's a liquor bar in this airport. But a trap. This is a trap. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's a liquor bar doing here? I see a liquor bar. What do you expect me to do? Not buy three margaritas? I'm a man. I'm human. Oh, goodness. Trying to get to Longview. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. Perhaps I will I will unearth another uh, angry airport video for next week. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, preferably one involving a baby. It seems like the <laughs> the humor quotient is higher when there's an infant involved. The dead I feel like you could bust that out at like a golf tournament or something. Like when someone yells during someone's backswing or like right after their swing. Yeah, did you pay extra to yell? Oh, man. Well, if you're flying with a, a screaming infant, uh, may you show more grace than than that fella. And, and, and you know, if you're trying to get from Longview, Texas to Medford, Oregon, uh, don't scream at anybody about it because you might get tased. Just just find your way over to the liquor bar and it'll be all right. 
or avoid the liquor bar entirely and miss that part of the fl- and 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 escape that little trap. Sound advice as well. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>